Welcome to the fellowship. It's Friday and we're taping an episode just for the heck of it because normally we record these on Monday, but why the frick not? Adam Hawk here joined as always by the most prepared man in broadcasting, Ryan Engel, who is feverishly shuffling through his mountain of notes. Ryan, how are you? I'm good, just knowing that the AC was still on when you started, so we're going to hear that in the background, and I love to hear it. And why are we going to hear that? Because you went out, went into your own pocket, did the most gracious thing anyone has ever done for me. You went and purchased brand new podcasting equipment. You love to see it, and quite frankly... You love to hear it. You love to hear it. Thanks for doing this, man. You've uh, built a podcast studio here, and I'm like a kid in a candy store. This is awesome. Well, yeah, these microphones were about $800 more expensive than the ones we were using that I bought the first time. Right, but they sound about $800 better, wouldn't you agree? Yeah, so if anybody wants to sponsor this podcast, we are accepting inquiries. Inquire within, which means direct message or email the company, and Adam Hawk will get back to you as soon as he can. That's right. Off the top... We want to talk about the fact that this is a back-to-business podcast because we are getting back to business. But before we do, a very quick update on the Maui relief efforts. It's been amazing. It continues to be amazing. But as the needs of the island change, so do our plans. We had a donation drive scheduled for this weekend. We have since canceled that. And it's not because we're looking for an easy way out or we don't want to show up on the weekend and do some heavy lifting. It is simply because we are doing our very best to listen to Maui and what Maui needs. And because Maui has been getting so much love from the neighboring islands and the people here stateside across the country, they don't need as many hard goods as they did a week ago. What they need is money. So we are starting to pivot and point people in that direction. And this gives us a critical chance to press pause on collecting and catch up on sorting warehousing, shipping, and getting those items over to the island in the most sustainable manner possible. I speak for both of us. Rest assured, if you have donated a usable item to Nation Golf, your item, if it hasn't already, will reach the island of Maui, and we are extremely grateful for everyone that participated. Yeah, thank you guys. It's been an overwhelming outpouring of generosity. Still a lot of work to be done logistically-wise on the back end. And we're focusing more on higher ticket items like insulin and very specific supplies that are in smaller numbers for specific recipients and on smaller logistical traveling devices such as PJs and whatnot. So Sure. PJs standing for private jets. Yeah. So everything's going great. We've hyper-focused into, into more niche categories to help some more niche collectives. It's nice to know that if if we make the call that the people will answer and we know that we're able to um, have a real drive and collect an enormous amount of goods. So what we want to do is we want to be sustainable in our approach in delivering stuff to them and knowing that, you know, working with people on the ground over there, especially the longshoremen and the logistics people on their end, there are a lot of containers still on their way. And what we don't want to do is is create a waste management situation. We want to let the process kind of go and and see how it goes. We'll be monitoring it, and and hopefully we won't have to drive a bunch of knick-knack goods again. Hopefully they'll be good, and we can focus on the next step, which is rebuilding and helping them in any way we can. Thanks, everyone, for all your support in that. Excited to kind of get back into the swing of things because 
although it's awesome to be charitable and to help, at the end of the day, this business has to survive. We got to pay for the lights and <laughs> the lease, and we've been, you know, hyper focused on on the other stuff. So, shameless promotion here. If you'd like to help support us and throw a hat in your cart or whatnot, just know that it's helping some guys out who overextended themselves a little bit to to help others. So we're happy to do it. We're not complaining, but the clock doesn't stop ticking and we all got to make a living, man. So Nation Golf is transitioning out of being a forward-facing donation hub and a forward-facing communication hub. And we are directing everyone to follow along with our sister account at Community Relief Maui. That's at Community Relief Maui for all of the updates because the need for help is still very much there and the need for volunteers still exists. The need for money will be there for a long time. It's just that the need to collect a mass amount of goods currently doesn't exist, but it could in the near future. And if it does, Community Relief Maui will let you know. But as of right now, Nation Golf, the business is shifting. Ryan and I, the people, will still be very much involved, but Nation Golf has primarily phased out of the forward-facing efforts, and we are pointing people to at Community Relief Maui. Thanks to everyone. It's been amazing. The marathon does continue. Now, let's talk some golf. Not pro golf, where Lucas Glover literally sweat a victory directly out of his swampy butthole. (laughs) And not pro golf. Pro golf. Not pro golf, where they're playing the BMW Championship right now. But let's talk about amateur golf, specifically Mm. our own amateur golf. And let's start with your recent trip to... Pelican Hill, one of the nicest resort courses in Southern California, a place that I haven't played, quite frankly, can't afford to play, and a place that you hadn't played until this past Wednesday. So we're going to get into it, but how much did it cost and why did you go there? Sorry, I I don't mean to be rude, Adam, but Pelican Hill, never heard of it. Okay. I don't know of a Pelican Hill. Um, I was fortunate enough to play pelican point the other day okay pelican point and i know because we've already talked about it that (laughs) you got good and drunk at someone's birthday party out on the golf course (sighs) and you decided to only refer to pelican hill as pelican point to all of the staff there and it really got under their skin yeah having a kick out of that yeah i remember at the end of the round we're in the grill room I made a couple Pelican Point references, and the guy just looked at me like I was an extraterrestrial being. They don't want to hear someone intentionally butcher the name of their fine, fine resort over and over and over again, yet you decided to do that. Yeah. But yeah. answer my question. How much did it cost you to play there? It was 340 bucks, I think. That's a lot of money. $340? Yeah. But it was Rye, our good friend. It was his 40th birthday. It was a special occasion. In my golf world, I've been so blessed and i've gotten away with it as far as not having to pay as much as maybe the average next guy and there's a laundry list of maybe why that is but the results are that kind of felt like gotten away with it i could give a little back it's a one-time deal i'm probably never going to go back there unless someone gives me a bro deal or something Unbelievable property. It's beautiful. Course is pretty good. Resort course. So it's all like everything's a funnel. Hills on both sides of the fairways, spongy greens. Beautiful. Some of the holes were just stunning, but you know, it's just like 340 bucks, dude. But let this be a lesson to everybody. I know we've we've said this over and over again in older shows and 
don't make yourself bigger than the game or your group's experience every now and then. Go ahead and, you know, buy a round of drinks, pay it forward a little bit. So anyways, we're in this group chat. Rye throws it out there and he's just like, hey, I know it's gnarly or whatever. It's a Wednesday, but I want to send it for my birthday and go to Pelican Point and then uh, hit the Tiki Bar afterwards in Laguna on the way home. And it's going to be like gnarly, no stress if you're in or out or whatever. And right when he sent it, I just had this intuition. I was just like, everyone's going to kind of like backpedal on this because it's a decision to make. But I put myself in the birthday boy's shoes because clearly if he's throwing it out there, he wanted to go. Right. And so the last thing you want is to have that feeling where like everyone's kind of like, oh, I don't know. So I was just like instantaneous without even thinking about it and classic Ryan Engel maneuver without even looking at my calendar. I just said, I'm in because I wanted to get the snowball going and get everyone who was on the fence to just pony up and just fucking, let's celebrate this guy's birthday. It's 300 bucks. Who gives a shit? You, you know? started the domino effect. Yeah, yeah. And so it ended up being great. There was eight of us. A couple of negative reports. From? From Pelican Point. From Pelican Point. You have negative reports well, about? Well, okay. We got an 11 a.m. tea time. Everybody knows that one of the most beautiful things about the game of golf is that once you get to the parking lot, the clock and the societal judgment of when you can or cannot drink is out the window. The bar is open at six o'clock in the morning. So we're like, let's get there an hour early and just soak up the vibe. It is a resort for crying out loud. We get there. So I check in, swipe my card after like three or four of them decline. And then, uh, <laughs> no, just kidding. But swipe my card and then I look at the dude uh, where's a bar, bud? Because he's like, hey, you want to hit some balls over here? And I was like, yeah, for sure, dude. Where's the bar? You know? <laughs> and he's like, oh, I'm sorry. The grill room isn't open till 11 o'clock. And I was like, what? So you're telling me you pay 300 bucks to play Pelican Point. Let's say you got a 9 a.m. tea time. You're splurging with the boys and you can't go get a, a bloody before you're round? What? That seems wrong. So they had this one thing open. Basically one of those like halfway house things, you know? Chick's got like a, a glass refrigerator in front of her register and she's selling pre-made sandwiches and shit. And she's like, well, I can make you a drink. And she's got the airplane bottles like on display, like each one she has. And I was just like, what? I'm not one to complain about shit like that normally because it just, it is what it is. When Shorecliffs in San Clemente has a better bar situation at their golf course than Pelican Point. Mm. What is going on there? Yeah, yeah. Do rich people not drink before 11? Well, to me, it just seems like a missed opportunity to make some revenue for a very expensive property, which probably wants to capitalize on all revenue-generating opportunities that they have. And you are right that golf does erase the clock or the societal expectations for when it is and is not appropriate to have a beverage. I mean, 11 a.m. might as well be 7 p.m. when yeah. you're playing golf. Same with 6 a.m. It just seems ridiculous to go to such a nice place that's so expensive and you can't get a drink till a certain time. Totally. Second complaint, and it's in the same vein. So now we're on the golf course. We're having a good time. And you know me. like I got a triple McAllen airplane bottle on the rocks. So I was just walking around at 10 o'clock in the morning at Pelican Point. With eight fingers of scotch. With eight fingers of scotch on the rocks, because I just figured, I didn't know what it was going to be like. I was like, this could be my only chance 
because clearly these guys don't have it figured out. And I didn't bring anything because I was like, oh, we're going to a nice place. I'm not going to be the guy that's like, hey, you guys want to take a little wisp of my nipper, you know? <laughs> so we get out on the course. Finally, my drink's going down and we're like, oh man, where's the cart lady? You know, And so she finally shows up. First round's on me, guys. So everyone's ordering their drinks. We're going rum tonight at the Tiki Bar, so I'm shifting gears. Going rum and Coke right now. A little pick-me-up. What goes better with a rum and Coke than squeeze a lime? So I tell the broad, hey, rum and Coke me and my partner here. It's his birthday, and we would love two little squeezes of lime in there. And she says, oh, sorry. Unfortunately, we're not allowed to mix drinks, and I don't have any limes because I'm not allowed to put those into drinks. And I was like, what? That's three what's so far. Yeah, I've never even heard that in my life. And she's like, I'll mix it for you here because it's like we're out here, no one's looking. But technically, she was supposed to put Coke on ice, hand me the cup, and then give me the bottle of Bacardi. Like it's an airplane. Yeah. And I was like, what planet are we on right here? So as a joke, oh, I made a really funny joke to her. I was just like, oh, I thought we were, uh, I thought the, <laughs> the were in the county north of us. <laughs> she laughed. It was a joke. Just a joke, everybody. There's no It's just a joke. But um, Adam will probably edit that out anyways. So, so yeah. So now, so as a joke, Rye goes, hey, because, you know, we clearly just got shunted on our mixed drink. No lime. I was just like, I'm on, I'm on Mars now. So I don't even know what to think or ask. And Rye goes, you don't by chance happen to sell cigarettes, do you? Like, <laughs> Like, he wanted cigarettes, yeah, but he was asking as a joke because right. we knew the answer was known. And she's like, yeah, I've got Marlboro lights. What's that? And I was like, what the... I, I don't know. Pelican Point, beautiful property. Maybe the GM, he needs to give me a call. I think I could help him stoke out his shareholders or something. Unbelievable. No limes, but they have cigarettes. Yeah. That's wild. When was the last time the cart girl sold cigarettes? Have you ever been to a course that they do that? Is that normal? I've seen cigars in a pro shop. I've cigars never... in a pro shop. And by the way, thank God I brought a cigar with me. As I was checking in, they had these Cohibas that I like, these red label Cohibas. And it's just a normal Robusto red label Cohiba. The guy's ringing up my card. And I was just like, just for shits and giggles, I went over there and just spun the little tube around to see what the price was. $68. You know that you bought this thing for eight bucks. Wow. It sounds like you don't want to go back to this place. I mean, I would go if someone was like, hey, my buddy works there and I could, we could play for 75 bucks. I, I would pay that. Yeah. I don't think I would pay north of $100 to play there, personally. Beautiful views. We had an unbelievable time. Great group. The front nine just absolutely just tore my soul out, spun it around, wrapped it around my body, wrung it out. You know, I just had probably the worst nine holes I've had in five years, maybe longer. And then I said, you know what? You're mine, back nine. Yeah. The kid woke up. That felt good to do. Well, glad that you uh, had an okay time at Pelican Point. Uh, please stop pounding the table. <laughs> Late last week, before you went to Pelican Point, we played golf together at my favorite golf course in Orange County, Metal Lark Golf Club, affectionately known as... The Lark. The Lark. I'm going to say this before you go on your little scripted rant. Metal Lark really growing on the kid over here. Is that right? Yeah. I dig that course. And back in the day, you know, I have, I have historic family ties to what once was Shorecliffs, a.k.a. Estrella Country Club. 
but since they've it's gone downhill over the years and they've redone the layout and stuff it's just not the same but the original layout what it was i get the same kind of nostalgic feeling mm. with metal lark mm-hmm. you can never really judge a course the first time you play it unless it's pelican point lark playing it the second time I dig that spot. Yeah, I'm glad yeah. to hear that because you have very, very high standards. So I'm glad that you like Metal Arc because I love it too. And thanks so much to our great friend, Jordan Brown, for making that happen. He brought Swing Lube, our beer, our now defunct beer, into Metal Arc back in the day. He brought in our High Crown Tour Visors recently, which he say have been selling great. And he takes us out there, which is really awesome. It's just the best. Love that guy. So shout out to him for doing that. Now, I played great for my standards. I drove it well. I hit some good second shots. I even chipped in, and I carted a handicap lowering 82, but I couldn't make a putt. You, on the other hand, couldn't miss one. Tell the people just how well you were rolling the rock a week and a half ago at the Lark. I've been putting better lately and just making a lot of the important littler ones. They don't seem like much, but they're all must-makes because it's like you're so damn close. You're like, can I please just clean this up and get the fuck out of here? I got this tip from Olin Brown. Who's Olin Brown? Olin Brown is a champion golfer on the PGA Tour. He's on the senior tour now. I played in the Mission Hills Pro-Am with him. Just a great dude, a good old boy, down to earth. One of his caddies that he had for a long time was a former caddy of... Ben Crenshaw. Ben Crenshaw is known as one of the best putters of all time. And for years, he would be like, dude, give me the tip. Give me the tip. Because he got to know Ben well because of that. After about 20 years of asking, they were having some pops after a round and gentle Ben finally spilled the beans. And it took me, even after hearing this story and thinking about it, after Olin told this to me, that it started to resonate and make sense because it's it's kind of an abstract description of what he's thinking and feeling. And basically, Ben Crenshaw says that the head has to have life in it. And you got to sit there and think about that for a second. It's so easy nowadays with like the modern mechanics and the modern trends and in putting and everything that everyone's so still and so stiff. They're trying so hard to be perfect. When the reality is like, imagine if you're chipping like that. You can't chip in a perfect stance, all stiff with your legs locked. The head's got to have some life in it. And that's the only way you can really hit that soft hands, little action, maybe a little loop in it. You got to feed that ball down there. You can't be a robot. But with that being said, what I've realized is that Depending on the distance, I putt differently now. So longer putts, I don't take as much time. Whatever my line is I'm picking, I just kind of like hit it almost like a chip where like the head's got a little life in it. I'm not as like locked with my wrists or like stiff. I'm, I'm trying to just be like fucking relaxed. And I just kind of release the putter and just whap it down there. Feed it into the, the little three-foot circle. We can all fist pump when they go in, but you know you're not trying to make it. You're just trying not to three-putt when you got a long putt. Let's all be honest here. But when I get closer, I kind of change my strategy. I'm still not as focused on keeping it super stiff. I still try to, as Ben would say, keep a little life in the head. I just stay really still with my my head, my vision, and kind of my left ear, and I just try not to peek. 
And I just started doing that where I have two different styles. It's it's just like anything, builds a little confidence. And then when you start seeing them go in a little bit, you start getting real like excited to hit that next six footer. And it's true, the hole starts opening up. And so I'm sure it'll eventually leave me soon, you know, because it goes up and down. But it's been really fun because I don't care how long you hit the ball, how beautiful your draw is or whatever. There is nothing like making putts. It's the best feeling in golf. Even though I didn't putt particularly well that day, jokes aside, you would agree that that's the number one strength of my game, putting. Yeah. It's incredible to hear you relay Ben Crenshaw's advice to Olin Brown, who gave it to you. And I know where you're going to go with this, and I'm going to cut you off. Great. You have a little too much life in your head. Okay. All right. All right. Fine. Uh, But listen, listen. I have been asked by a few of my friends, honestly, for, I wouldn't call it advice on putting, but just, hey, what do you think about or why are you particularly good at this part of the game? And I have said verbatim that I am trying to move the feeling in my hands down to the blade of the putter. That's always been my thing is when you grip the putter and you can feel the weight of it in your hands, I am trying to move that feeling from my hands down the shaft into the putter head. So when I hear Ben Crenshaw say the head needs a little life and I see you smiling because it's like, who does this guy think he is? Yeah, I'm just thinking about your first book. It's like How I Putt by Adam Hawk. Well, look, it's me, it's Crenshaw, and then everyone's playing for third. But look, I'm serious, though. That is how I've always felt about putting and how I've always thought about it, that I'm trying to move the feeling in my hands down to the feeling in the putter head. So it's great to hear Ben Crenshaw say that. Obviously, he executes at a million times higher level than I do, but I totally agree and resonate with what he's saying. Well, yeah, everyone's so obsessed with line and speed, and that's obvious that that's what it takes to consistently get it close and make it. But we're forgetting about what's really the most important part. You got to hit it good. Mm -hmm. And in every other aspect of the game, if there's resistance or stiffness in the action, you're not going to hit it that great. Because even the full swing takes, yeah, all those unbelievable mechanics. But when it's time to fire and release, if you're holding back at all, it's a disaster. Mm -hmm. Now, after the round, the four of us, you, me, Maddie Higgins, and Jordan Brown, when we finished up on 18, we did what gentlemen do. We removed our hats, we extended our hands, and we shook. We didn't fist bump, we didn't dap up, we didn't bro out, we didn't hug. We shook hands. We have a listener named Jay who wanted us to talk about the epidemic of the fist bump and the awkward situations the fist bump has created as the fist bump has now made its way into modern culture and has become as acceptable as the handshake. You have all been there. You go for a handshake, you extend your hand, and you see a fist on the other side, and it creates this matrix-level situation where then you switch to the bump, they switch to the shake, and you can't even get your two hands to come together because you just start seesawing back and forth. It's like Stevie Williams and Tiger Woods trying to hit a high five. That's exactly it. I want to lump something into this because I don't know the uh, actual name for this, but I call it like the bro shake. It's the cupped vertical handshake that that everyone thinks is cool now. It's like a hybrid of a high five and then your fingertips are kind of coming together. Yeah. Sometimes that goes into the slap with the hit or whatever. Bottom line is all of that new shit ruined the handshake moment. For those of you that think that that's cool to do, when guys on the senior tour 
are doing that. If you're going to shake hands with Rocco Mediate and he gives you the bro handshake, the bro handshake is dead. It's over. It's not cool anymore. And that's mm-hmm. no offense to Rocco Mediate, but let's be honest, that guy's having the biggest midlife cool crisis of all time. No matter what the situation is, I stick to my guns. I put it out there completely horizontal, level, and low. Because if you raise it up high, they'll try to coax you into the bro shake. No, no, no. I'm staying here and I want a real handshake. And if you try to awkward bump me right here and mess this whole thing up, I'm just going to sit here and, and pause until you fucking cave. Yes. So I like your advice. Stick to your guns. Hold that handshake out. Don't move. If someone's got the fist bump, just keep your handshake out because eventually they will go to the handshake. Then you make a handshake, put your hat back on, you walk towards the clubhouse, and you remove that hat when you enter the clubhouse. Boy, this round of Metal Arc has yielded so much content. I also want to talk about the fact that that round at Metal Arc was probably the first round of golf I've played in 15 years where I didn't have a single drink of alcohol. And it was weird. And you pointed it out when we were there. You were at the bar tying some Bloody Marys on bright and early, and you were like, can I get you one? I'm like, nope. I I know you probably forgot, but I'm trying to go the month of August without a drink. Um, As far as takeaways go, I'm not going to say it made the round any better or any worse because it was only the first time I tried it, so I probably need some more empirical data to be able to come to some sort of conclusion. The one thing that I will say was a huge upside to not drinking while playing golf and every married guy with kids can relate to this. When I came home after the round, I was far more energetic. I was not looking to drop anchor on the couch. Did you get laid? Stop. I was not looking to saw a few logs. and You were looking to make whoopee. Take it easy, partner. It was three in the afternoon. Hey, you got blinds behind the TV. No one's going to see. Gosh. Listen. The energy factor of coming home and feeling like I don't need to take a nap was huge. And that was a huge upside to not drinking. Was I kind of a buzzkill or a bummer riding in the cart with you all day, not drinking and just being water guy? Honestly, I didn't notice it much. I think maybe now that I think about it, I, I do miss the, the goofy weirdo that you become when you do drink. It's fun. It's just more ammo for me to make fun of you. So I guess I did miss it. Yeah. Thank you. We're going on 18 days without a drink. Not drinking has become a part of this health kick that I'm on. It's a health kick that I'm so overdue for, but could never get motivated. You went on one a couple months ago. I couldn't even get up to join you on that. When you don't have motivation, you don't have it. I finally got some motivation. So trying to go all of August without a drink. I'm eating better. And get this. I went to the doctors for the first time in at least two years. I am absolutely one of those guys that doesn't go. I avoid it at all costs. It's totally an ego thing. A, I'm fine. I'm healthy. Why would I go there? It's totally... It's not an ego thing. You're scared. What am I scared of? Finding something out? Get it all out. This is the time, dude. I'm it's not therapeutic. S- no, I'm not scared. I just think, why go to the doctor? Well, that is an ego thing. You're, you're masking your fear. Okay. So well, there's the ego part. But the reality is, you're scared, dude. You don't want anything to be wrong or them to tell you you're fat or anything (laughs) that you need to like stop smoking and stuff. So that's what you're scared of. Well, I'm 36. I have a wife and two kids. 
I have heart issues that run in my family and I haven't treated my body very well for a long time. So it was time to go to the doctors and what the hell am I paying into health insurance for if I don't do this? The thing that sucks the most after going to the doctors is I now have confirmation that I weigh 218 pounds. Wow. Even after this health kick, huh? Yes. I was wearing clothes and it was after lunch, but still, even if I was on an empty stomach and didn't have clothes, that's probably 210 still. There's no 5, 11 and a half guy that should be weighing 210 unless you're absolutely ripped to shreds, which I'm not. Yeah, I just felt real fat and then uh, went in there and met the doctor. He ordered some blood labs for me, which means now I have to fast for 12 hours on a certain day and go get blood drawn. I have to go get a heart scan. I have to do a telephone appointment. So you go in for one appointment and all of a sudden you walk out with three more scheduled. It's all about that copay, baby. They got to ring in that cash. Well, you know what? Let's let you go on that because you are not much of a doctor guy, not much of a Western medicine guy. The floor is yours, big fella. (laughs) What do you want me to say? You don't like doctors. I'm skeptical of all big business. That's what it is, unfortunately. They can get away with saying that, oh, this is for health care. So when I go there and get an operation, you give me chips and jello. You sure about that? This is about money, dude. And do you help in certain situations? Yeah. But how many stories do you have of friends who just like going for something basic, whatever, and they give you like 10 years supply of fucking Norcos? I'm not saying it's all bullshit. I'm not saying I know everything. All I'm saying is I invite everyone to join my movement and be skeptical of it all. (laughs) Okay. Very good. The half marathon that I want to run in Long Beach is exactly two months away. I am happy to report I've done zero training, so (laughs) we'll see how that goes. Just to confirm, you are still not going to do that with me. Did I uh, commit to going, though? Like You committed to being at the finish line. Okay, I'll be there. Okay, very good. But you are not going to run the race. Is the finish line by the pyramid? Uh, No, that's at Cal State Long Beach. The finish line's by the aquarium. Oh, Oh, maybe you take your daughter to the aquarium while you're waiting for me to finish that two and a half hour long race. Okay. Sound like a plan? Sure. Uh, Let's change gears here for a second as we start to wind this up. I want to know, because every time I check in with you about what you're doing outside of work, I am constantly amazed whether it's the fact that you are shooting fireball and drinking beers with your wife and watching sci-fi or frequenting a Dave and Buster's. I want to know, what kind of music have you been listening to lately? And what have you been watching on television lately? Uh, Music, this will probably shock a lot of people, but over the years, I've really embraced the tchotchke tourist aloha spirit. And it's from my many travels over there for like surfing competitions and stuff. And as the years went on, I was just like, well, fuck, yeah, I am a Howley. Watch this. I'm going to soak all this up. And I've ended up having the best time. So I love all the cliche touristy things about Hawaii just as much as I love the the real culture of it all. But with that, I have like this guilty pleasure that I will listen to Hawaiian reggae bands, like local music, the full-on Bradakine reggae. What did you call yourself earlier? A Howley? Howley. What's a Howley? Howley is what they call essentially white tourists. I think in Hawaiian, it actually translates to like someone with no soul, which is pretty fucked up. But that's what they call the white man. But it's, you know, been watered down over the years because it's like so used for a general term of like a tourist or a white guy or someone not from there, you know? The weeks leading up to our trip to Hawaii a few weeks ago, I was just like getting so excited that I just started like ripping it. And then while we were out there, it's just like all on the radio out there and stuff. And 
ever since we've been home, it just it just makes me feel like I'm over there in that thing. So it's kind of been just this this really just like guilty pleasure therapeutic letting the hair out. Yeah, very good. You okay, know? nice. I've been on a major major Beastie Boys kick recently. Ooh. This was a group that defined my childhood, and I just recently started coming back to them and listening to their records front to back. And I got to say this about the Beastie Boys. They don't get enough credit for how absolutely musically creative and genius that they are. They go in and out of doing straight up goofy raps to super hard raps to playing their own instruments and playing funk and jazz and fusion. And the diversity of what they have put out and how many different sonic landscapes they've covered as a three piece is incredible. And for how long they did it for, and for the fact that they were kind of always labeled like the goofy white rapper boys, but like they're super awesome. And their message is always about like positivity and like uniting. It's yeah. they're, they're the best, man. I, I mean, yeah, they, they're more legendary than anyone really realizes except the OGs. Right. Cause if you ask the OGs who were part of that original Def Jam tour back in the day when it was like Run DMC, Salt and Peppa, LL Cool J, and the Beastie Boys. And they would go to all these early hip hop clubs where it was just like, that was the beginning of the culture. And everyone who is anyone who knows any of that shit, who was either there or part of that thing, will all tell you that the Beastie Boys not only stole every show, but they tore the fucking roof off of every fucking place. Yeah, no doubt. And... When you hear it from those guys, that's when you're like, okay. Right. What are you watching right now? We were watching that uh, uh, Apple TV. It's like some sci-fi thing where they're like <laughs> moving planets and saving civilization, shit like that. And I was like, oh, this is sick, you know? And I like ripped through a few of them and it's like, new one comes out next Friday. And I was like, fuck, you lost me. Yep, I won't be I'm back. too impatient. Yep. I'm too impatient. Yep. TV time for me is like forgetting about all the troubles. It's like at the end of the night... I don't want to think I want to like be put into a trance and just turn into jello, you know? Mm -hmm. And if I can't watch the same one every night, then it's like, oh, well now what am I going to do? Yeah. I'm not waiting till Friday. What do you think? I am a psychopath where I set my alarm to when a new episode comes out. That's ridiculous, dude. This is 2023. Just give me, give me 14 seasons in one lump sum. Yeah. And let me go. Let the kid go. I'm watching a show right now that used to be on the air and so I get access to all the episodes and that's Arrested Development fantastic show I'll tell you what I haven't been listening to or watching sports god me neither sports sports was on I don't know where we were we were Dave and Buster's probably might have been yeah, yeah. But there was a fucking NFL game on. Yeah, preseason. And I was like, what the hell? And someone said that they're like, it's preseason. And I was like, I looked at my watch and I was like, it's fucking August. Yeah. Go away, dude. Yeah. Do and those guys even get a summer? They do, but all the sports media that covers it doesn't. And I worked in that business for 15 years and football is a 24-7, 365 machine. Question. Yep. Are you or aren't you? A narc. No, just kidding. Are you or aren't you doing fantasy football this year? Yeah, I am. You are? Yeah. Mr. I hate the NFL yep. is fantasy football guy again. I had every intention of quitting my fantasy football league last year. I hate the NFL more than anything in the entire world. I do. I, I hate it. And when you are in sports for 15 years and you have to wake up every single day and watch people in suits argue about such a stupid game that is such a terrible, terrible product. And you're given this feeling that if you don't participate in the cultural 
self-flagellation to this sport that you somehow don't belong in society, it starts to wear on your soul. The NFL sucks. It absolutely sucks. The product's terrible. Every big play is called back by a penalty. Every touchdown is reviewed by replay. They even bring in analysts to break down the replay. The game is so unwatchable that they had to break it down and put it on the red zone channel and just mainline everyone the most important parts of it at such a hyperdrive speed to keep them interested. I promise you, if the red zone and gambling didn't exist, neither would the NFL. When you zoom out and look at this product, it's fucking horrible what's that data point that like someone did all the research and they're like the games are three hours but the actual play time's like nine minutes yeah it's uh nine minutes of action for three and a half hours of a game that's unbearable there's more commercials and timeouts total than there is actual football being played it sucks and then you get these guys that are inhaling these wings of buffalo wild wings and wearing jerseys and screaming like Neanderthals at the TV and then going home at Instagram and yelling at people. Everyone just needs to back away from sports, particularly NFL, and just get a grip. It's not a religion. It's a really, really, really bad product. And to the question about me playing fantasy football this year, I can't get out of this league, partly because seven years ago I founded it and I'm the only guy of the 10 guys in it that personally knows the other nine guys. So I'm officially the glue guy. I'm the bridge between everyone. And if I leave, this whole thing goes downhill. And I genuinely love the guys in it. I just absolutely hate what we're doing and spending any of our time on this because I don't care. And I find it embarrassing that we do care. I don't need this shit. How does anyone have time for fantasy football if they have anything at all going on in their lives. And for what? What's at the end of the rainbow? How much money can you win? 500 bucks. And how much did you put in? 100. And it takes how many weeks? 20 weeks? It takes 14. Break that down per week. Seriously. It's just like me when people have to bet on the golf course. Mm-hmm. How much money do I need to give you right now for you to just have a good time? I know, man. I got to get out of this league. Do it. I saw Jordan Dixon posted on Instagram the other day. Uh, that's why I, when I saw the thing, I just thought to myself instantaneously, thank God I'm not into that. I know. So everyone knows Jordan Dixon, a friend of ours, posted, I'm looking to join one or two fantasy football leagues this year. If anyone needs someone, let me know. I was thinking, A, why the hell would you want to join one league, let alone two? <laughs> and you want to take my spot? Because I want out. I want out. Give me golf, baseball, and tennis, games without a clock, games without pretension, games that don't demand your undivided attention. That's all I need. That's actually a really good take. Baseball, at the end of the season, it requires more hyper-focus, but what's great about it, you could be at some dinner where there's TVs in the restaurants, which means it's probably a really nice restaurant. (laughs) But, you know, they got games on and like, yeah, you, you look up a little bit, you're still giving your wife your full attention, you know? Where if it's like a football dork, it's just like, woo! Yeah, yeah. Which is crazy because it's for nine minutes of action. We should get the hell out of here and get on with our weekends. Did we even talk about golf? Yeah, we talked a lot about Pelican Point. We talked about Ben Crenshaw's Mm. putting Mm. tips. And we promised to recap the BMW Championship, leg two of the FedEx Cup playoffs. How about about leaving the listeners here with a little cliffhanger, Hawk? You know? Yeah. Long putters. Ban them. Sorry, Lucas Glover. Love it. Love your story. Pulling for you. Get rid of those things. 
Guy needs a new set of underwear and a new putter. What do you think? Do you like the long putter? Me? Yeah. I freaking hate it. Because you look like a long putter kind of guy. No, I don't. You've never <laughs> seen I play a ping 1A. I do not look like I a I think long you're putter. one case of the yips away from going LP long putter. No, absolutely not. I've said it about Adam Scott before. He is the he's a beautiful man with a beautiful swing. And as soon as he gets on that green to putt, I have to turn my television off. Yeah, it's so hard to it's watch. It's nauseating. Uh, it's terrible. Yeah, no, I hate that long putter. I hated the belly putters. Putt like they've been doing since the dawn of time. What are we doing here? Let it swing, man. Yeah, that's it. Let's get out of here. And uh, what are you going to drink tonight? Fireballs and beers? Let's see what. Tonight's Friday. We might be going to dinner tonight. I don't even know. It, dude, we're so spread thin right now with the donation drive and the foundation and trying to fit that into work and life and baby and all that stuff. I cooked dinner last night. I woke up this morning at 4 a.m. to meet a guy outside to give him a bunch of supplies and a U-Haul truck. I don't even know what's going on, dude. I'm waiting for someone in my family to give me a hint so I can remember what the hell my next step is. Very good. Our next step is signing off. Thank you so much for listening to The Fellowship. Guess what? We're back in three days talking more golf right here. Tell a friend. Stay subscribed, and we will see you next time. Do, 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 do.